Hey everybody, today we're talking about sobriety, getting sober, one man's journey on the road to sobriety, and then staying that way. Uh, my guest Stefan Neff says that he was a holic long before he was an alcoholic. I don't know whether, whether any of you listening can relate to that, workaholic, sleepaholic, foodaholic. There are a lot of holics in the world. He's a beautiful gentleman, and his journey was not straight, not easy. He talked about how it's okay to fail and how many people on the road to sobriety will fail in their attempts to stay away from the thing that is wreaking havoc with their life. Really great stories along the way, too. I hope you listen in and share. This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who have a lot of living yet to do, who want to enjoy the ride for as long as they can in good health and with a sense of humor. Maybe a little wine. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. Nonsense. I would say something else, but I'll keep it clean for now. Aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another fabulous episode of the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast. Today, my guest, Stefan Neff, is going to talk about anesthesia. Well, not really. He's an anesthetist, an author, and a person who is an expert in addiction and recovery. So, Stefan, welcome, Stefan. Oh, thank you so much. It's an honor for me to be on your show and, and to be sharing a bit about my transformation and the lessons that I had to learn the hard way. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. I don't think I've talked about recovery, the difficult journey that coming back from a place of addiction can be. And I don't care whether it's an over 50 woman, 20 year old kid, 60 year old man. It's a struggle, right? Would you say that that's fair? It's the most beautiful journey that you possibly could go on. And as with every journey, it has its ups and downs and lefts and rights. Talk about the journey of Frodo in Lord of the Rings. Mm. That's nothing. Okay, that's absolutely <laughs> nothing compared with the journey that you go on when you decide that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired mm. because that is that is the reality for many people who are drinking too much and alcohol i mean it's so ubiquitous in our society such a normal thing it's a yeah. normalized addiction and it is we've been socially engineered to accept it and we are against a multi-trillion dollar industry which employs a very, very expensive people who are very clever in making us believe that it's absolutely normal to drink. And why shouldn't you drink? Drinking is beautiful. It's crazy. We are living in a very strange society. You're already a bit on a back foot there when you're living in a society where you can get alcohol everywhere and where it is very encouraged give you an example i like to binge watch from now and then netflix and things like that there's a lovely study where people watched a thousand hours of two streaming channels and they looked at the most commonly watched things and watched thousand hours of it and made a note every time that alcohol is being shown 
drunken, consumed, displayed every three minutes, regardless wow. what you watch. Every wow. three minutes is being pushed in front of you. And it's quite amazing. Whilst there's no alcohol advertisement in many places, my bottom. The heroes <laughs> in one of the streaming channels seem to be really liking their beer, whilst the heroes, regardless in which genre, uh, in another streaming channel, really like their whiskey. <laughs> so that is the background of the society in which we live. Yeah. Then comes, of course, the genetics. Unfortunately, I've got a full house. Alcohol has played a big role in my family on both sides of the family. So I'm pretty certain that I've got genetics. But so society, genetics, yeah, maybe I was set up, fair call. But then, of course, comes trauma. I was growing up. And by the way, rebellious over 50. That's exactly uh, what we're on about. I'm 56. So I'm spot on in your mark here for the listeners out there. I grew up. Well, boys don't cry and mm. you're a man. And there were certain masks that were supposed to wear. And Germany was quite strong in these masks. So I had maybe a lot of the wrong core beliefs in placed by people, well-meaning people, such mm -hmm. as my parents. We found that these core beliefs were maybe not so suitable for a productive life. No, no, let's rephrase that. Because... Ultimately, when you run away from trauma, you can run away to drugs, to alcohol, to gambling, to sex, to food, but also to work. That's mm. what I did. I ran away first before I became an alcoholic. I became a workaholic. Mm. And that in the German society, oh, he's, you know, look at him. He goes to school, then he goes three times in the afternoon, goes stacking shelves somewhere. He's earning his own money. A young man, look at him. So, I became a workaholic far earlier than I became an alcoholic. Hmm. And that was good. Okay. So, because it, it allowed me to actually become really good. Why did I run away? I never realized until I was really in my 40s. I didn't have a great upbringing. Latchkey child, typical of my generation. No really big traumas and uh, like ACE or something like that. But then when I was 13... I became the victim of a gang assault, and uh, that really shook me. Nowadays, we would call it PTSD, but then mm. no one gave a damn about it. I obviously survived. I put a ringleader behind bars. He threatened to kill me, and I, in my 80s thinking, I saw myself as a lethal weapon, as Mel Gibson going for <laughs> a life and death fight at the end, or Bruce Willis, or, you know, those kind of things, die hard. I saw myself as that. And that's exactly how I handled it. I became maybe a little potchy, uh, young teenager became Rambo, literally. And it was a very dark time. When I was then 18, I had a body like a Greek god. <laughs> Good. There are some benefits of something <laughs> like that when you train four hours a day. Okay, that's cool. But these were five years of darkness. And these five years of darkness came on top of screwed core beliefs, came on top of many other things. And I made it up as I went. And then three things happened. I was 18. I went to university. And... I realized that the ringleader will never, ever find me. He was an idiot. Secondly, I found girls. Third, mm -hmm. I found alcohol. 
I will never remember that day because I was sitting with friends in the afternoon in a German beer garden under a huge oak, a summer, a summer, the sun was shining. I had a big glass of beer and I drank most of it. And suddenly there was this wave of dopamine just washing over me. And the world felt good. And I started laughing out of the blue, giggling like a little girl. And it was the best feeling of love that I could have ever imagined. And there a friendship was born with <laughs> the alcohol. That was the first time when I realized how much I can escape my reality mm. with alcohol. So there I was a workaholic, a learnaholic up until then, then workaholic, and now alcoholic. And unfortunately, I never learned how to deal with my emotions and with my feelings and with those things that really drive you in the deep core. And so I kept going with these behaviors. And as a workaholic, you do very well. And when you've got PTSD, you do very well as a doctor because you don't get caught out. I became very good in emergencies. I thrived in chaos. I, I was literally the hero. This Rambo kind of attitude became me. So when the shit hit the fan in the emergency department, that was where I was at home. And I became a teacher for other doctors how to deal with chaos, how to deal with these emergencies. And I was teaching every, every course that there is under the sun. It was all fun. But ultimately, I was continuing to hide. I was continuing to run away from my emotions, from my trauma. And I did so for a long, long time, for decades, really, until there was no more dopamine to be discharged. There was only anger and resentment because trauma didn't stop there. But I still had the same coping mechanisms of running away, of trying to escape from reality, working too hard and then drinking too hard. And with hindsight, my goodness, but it was what it was. My body did the best it could because it hated the pain that I was feeling. So it tried to convince me, come on, have a drink, because then at least the pain will go away. Mm -hmm. Yes, there might be other pains, but that's tomorrow. Um, right now, come on, can you imagine just that, uh, that sound effect of the two free glasses of wine? Uh, and so this was my life. Working far too hard, drinking far too hard. Um, there were times when I tried to stop drinking, like so many of us. Um, but ultimately, because I didn't replace it with anything sensible, um, it was too easy for me to fall back onto it. Until I was really so down and out um, that I couldn't go on any longer like that. I was so much in pain, I was so much in tears. Um, it was just layer and layer and layer and layer of trauma that ultimately there was not enough vodka in a whole town to <laughs> actually stop the pain. And that's when my life changed. But it is, I mean, that was my story. And I was always a law-abiding citizen. I was a high-functioning alcoholic, as you mm -hmm. know. So I never got in trouble with the law. I turned up sometimes rather smelling of alcohol at work 
in the first few years that was still deemed very acceptable or even normal. But then later on, I had a few incidences where colleagues took me aside and said, hey, look, man, um, get your shit together. But as with everything, denial is the biggest hallmark of alcoholics and of drug addicts. So, of course, I said, no, me, me, I'm not an alcoholic. Look at him over there. Now he is an alcoholic. But me, I'm just a social drinker. Yeah. Well, and don't you think rationalization is another one of the techniques? We rationalize exactly. why we're going to drink tonight or tomorrow or this wedding is coming oh, up and all my friends drink. Exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> we need company, <laughs> right? Oh, and, and you nailed it. That's exactly what I wrote in my book. There's a chapter called The Heroin-Free Wedding. <laughs> it starts along the lines that a young woman and her mom standing together washing up and the young woman says, look, can we talk about the upcoming wedding? And mom says, let's talk wedding, let's talk wedding. And she said, brilliant. Uh, mom, I thought about it. I would like to have a heroin-free wedding. And mom drops the blade and says, oh my God, are you using heroin? Where did that come all about? And she says, no, I'm not using heroin. I want a heroin-free wedding. Would you be okay with that? My mom says, you silly, of course, they hug each other and it's all all right. And then their daughter continues and says, well, since we're talking about a subject, I also thought we're going to have an alcohol-free wedding. Mom is shocked. <laughs> so Rod says, you can't do that. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so interesting, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure that that would be the result. I mean, the response for many parents or siblings or guests exactly. you know what do you mean there's no booze at this wedding what kind of wedding is this <laughs> exactly so exactly. it is it is a tricky one but here we are this is the society in which we live so and you said it quite right greg we surround ourselves with like best folk and it's really really a problem because of course you do that subconsciously with a bit of intent because you want to make sure that you don't stand out. Mm. But if all of you are drinking, then it's all normal. And right. if you're in a mummy wine culture where you all are having two, three glasses of wine before you even pick up the children, call that a nice relaxing with the friends. Well, guess what? Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Already heading into the wrong thing. Now if you go now into a bottle shop. You can find alcohol without the carbs so it's good for you so you can go to your workout <laughs> and you look at it in your spandex and then no, don't say served that. it <laughs> exactly and so it's new marketing or yeah. what we call pinkification 10 years ago there were alcohol and all kind of typical kind of things. Now you go into a bottle shop and you find a corner for the girls typically smaller bottles that you can hide and your whatever you guys carry with you purse. Um, they are pink purse uh, you have got smaller things with often higher alcohol which is easier to drink and therefore you drink more of it uh, it's pink because you're a girl and you deserved it <laughs> and with your friends oh my god um so it's so easy so easy to fall into that trap I have to go back to what you said about, sorry to interrupt, but what you were talking about, uh, the streaming, Netflix, the programs, and how many images or people we see drinking. And they took cigarettes out of movies and television because they didn't want to influence people, young people, I guess, mostly. But 
we don't see anybody smoking anymore. Maybe, I mean, maybe an independent, maybe Netflix still has people smoking. On Yellowstone, they smoke. Um, but they don't care about booze in the same way. Uh, on the contrary, it is sponsored. It is yeah. paid for. I can assure you there. It's just not put on out there for everyone to know. It's a very insidious kind of thing. Mm. Intriguing that you say that because in German television, it's still quite normal that you can see smoking. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't see as much uh, alcohol being used in German television. Um, so it's quite intriguing. Are slight differences indeed, right? But I think that the problem is not the problem of a country. It's a problem of a Western society. Mm. We have got, if you look at chemical addiction, one in three of us are chemically addicted. Mm. And I say that again, one in three. Uh, You're really conservative and you say, no, 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 no. Okay, one in four. That is that is already conservative. Um, so one in four. Now, if you imagine that each and every one of us has got at least one significant other, then you can say that at least half of the population are affected by chemical addiction. And I think that is something else that we need to bring home. It is a disease of denial. It's a disease of hiding. And first of all, it is a disease. It's not somehow a moral failure. Mm -hmm. It's not that you're a bad person. No. You are just, you've learned to try to escape. You've learned to minimize your pain with the help of alcohol. You have learned that maybe alcohol gives you a bit of a Dutch courage. Um, mm -hmm. And something you've learned when you were 16, you're still doing at 50 when you are meeting someone new. Your glass of wine is like your, your pacifier. It is there. And if someone asks you a question, you take a sip of wine whilst you're thinking about the answer. You know, little things like that. So, you know, the alcohol gives you a very nice way. It lubricates the tongue, so to speak. And that can be very nice until it comes, of course, to a point. And yes, you mentioned I mean, genetics. I have to just address that because there are definitely gene variations associated with addiction. I work with a woman who has a gene testing company. Uh, and studies the biochemical pathways of these variations and how they express in people and then what to do about them, like what to put upstream to help with that downstream problem. And it's fascinating. Nice. And it goes to what you're saying. It's not a moral failing. People have these parts of themselves that they then beat themselves up for. And society also joins in. Let's all gang up on them because they must be lazy or they don't care. Um, except, I mean, obviously there are caring people and there are programs, all that stuff. But as a general way of thinking, most people would say it's the person not wanting to quit. Exactly. And that's just bullshit. That's yeah. absolutely bullshit. Many alcoholics really want to quit and they've tried it. They've tried it all. We don't drink in the week and only on <laughs> a Saturday. We don't drink on a Saturday, but only during the week. <laughs> we don't drink hard stuff. We drink only soft stuff. No, we don't drink soft stuff, only hard stuff. It doesn't bloody matter. Um, because ultimately, many of us are drinking because of psychological reasons, because you're dealing with trauma, or you don't want to deal with trauma. You have never learned how to deal with your emotions. Uh, these emotions are complete rogue waves that are washing over you, and you have no idea what to do with it. And that's where the transformation happens, when you are lucky enough that people love you and guide you towards a solution 
in my case, it was a four-week inpatient rehab. And I went there eight years, nine years now ago. And it was the most scariest place I've ever been, the most beautiful place I've ever been, and anything in between. And it's beautiful. It is. It was wonderful because it took me out of my life and I was transplanted into that safe bubble. And there, under the guidance of people who were addicts themselves or are addicts, that sounds weird because you're not just an alcoholic when you're, I don't know, 25 or 35 or 55. You will always be. I will die an alcoholic. I will mm -hmm. die a holic. I'm a holic because <laughs> I was a workaholic much earlier than I was an alcoholic. Foodaholic, okay? Eating disorders. Because you soon realize, I mean, if you just stop drinking, you can. You can just white knuckle it, stop drinking. Guess what happens? The next thing comes along. We'll mm. smoke like a chimney. Or the moment you stop smoking like a chimney, you eat everything that is in the fridge. You find partners on Tinder until your fingers bleed from, <laughs> from right or I don't know where you swipe, left or right. Okay, sex, <laughs> pornography, gambling. Yeah. We just jump from one poison to the other. Okay, if we don't address the trauma, if we don't do the work that needs to be done for you to become a different person. And it's that work, those new traumas by addressing the old trauma, so to speak, uh, the, the sheer fact that you learn how anger actually feels, how sadness actually feels when you don't run away from it, when you don't try to numb it, when you actually experience it and then see, oh, it's over. Because all these emotions are waves of neurochemicals and they pass an anxiety attack to actually, once you feel it and you actually see your hands are tingling and <laughs> if you breathe shallow and it all takes a certain kind of behavior. Once you actually realize that and know, okay, hello, this is an anxiety attack. Hello, anxiety. I haven't seen you for a bit. Then, then you can see A, you recognize them. B, you can see that they are often messengers from your body. For example, an anxiety attack comes quite easily for me if I haven't hydrated, if I'm tired, if I'm a bit angry, if I feel lonely. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired are powerful, powerful, um, drivers for me to drink. And equally, for my body to send me messages like being very anxious. And nowadays I can use that because I've done the work. I've figured myself out and it's, it's beautiful. That is the power of a rehab. That's the power of you working with people who maybe have been where you were or where you are and are saying, actually, Depression lies to you. Addiction lies to you. Those messages like, there is no hope for me. There's no one could possibly understand how I feel. All those kind of platitudes were bullshit. It was so beautiful for me to see in rehab because everyone who was looking after me was an addict. They all got their shit together. They were alcoholics, gamblers, you name it. Um, these were the people. And it was, it was beautiful because you can't bullshit a bullshit. Yeah. They all knew. What They've said everything you're going to say, right?
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was so powerful. Then two weeks into rehab, the, the boss of the rehab took me out for a coffee. They said, I'm going to introduce you to someone. And we drove an hour to a cafe somewhere. And I walked in to a bit of a quiet part of the cafe. And there sat a colleague of mine. A colleague I knew. I had organized conferences. I had invited him as a speaker. So I knew him. I respected him. I thought, oh my God, what's happening here? And it turns out that he was using the drugs, that he was using opiates in the past and had got his shit together. And we talked and talked honestly about addiction. He was one of my peers who had got himself right. And it was such a wow moment where I had to say, okay, A, it is far more common than I think. That was the lesson I learned. There are people who have gone through it and are successful now living a life that I actually yearn to have. And that was beautiful. That was the, the journey that I came to love and came to respect and came to cherish. And this transformation didn't stop there. First transformation is that you stop drinking. But then thereafter, the other transformations are just waiting to happen, that you're going out there and actually changing Maybe your moral beliefs, your core beliefs, you learn about integrity, you learn about humility, you learn about your own anger, about the hothead in you, and maybe mm -hmm. what to do about this person, and so on. The lessons are endless, and there's not a, not a day now happening where I don't experience a new lesson. So turning sober was only the start. And since then, my life is constantly changing in a good way. There's, there's constantly new trauma. There's constantly new things happening. But nowadays, I see that I've got choice. I've got a privilege of turning older, becoming wiser. I mean, despite all odds, against all odds, I, mean, <laughs> I think I've turned a little bit more, more knowledgeable. And with every day, I can show leadership at work within my family, I can model ways of behaving. So therefore, I can break the intergenerational trauma and the intergenerational crap. If I think about my genes, my two young men have got the same genes. Okay, mm -hmm. I've handed them the same. They have seen me at my worst when I was drinking. They also have seen my transformation. They see me now doing this show. They see me in my, my show, in my books. They see me trying to help others. So they see these attitudes, the new me. And they have taken quite a lot of that on already. And that is something, that is a gift that I can give to my children, for which I am proud. This is a legacy that I can leave. Yes, I've got the legacy of my genetic burden, so to speak, but I've also got that legacy where I turned myself around and keep working on it. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I do. You either work on becoming a better man, you work on your sobriety, or you work on your medical unwellness or mental unwellness, shall I really say. You work on your relapse. These are the two options. Whatever you do is either leading towards one side or towards the other side. I just choose more often than not to go towards the, no, I want to look after myself side. And that's, now, that's powerful. You didn't that's very powerful. Very, very powerful. And that's that day-to-day -day commitment 
that's honorable that you are sticking with your commitment. Now, you haven't mentioned a group, an organization that helped you with this or helps you stay on track. And I know that there are a couple of biggies out there, pros and cons for all the ones that I know of. Did, mm. did one particular group help you or was this just an independent organization that you were lucky enough to find yourself in? Ultimately, it was the it was the organization. Uh, it was that rehabilitation hospital. Although it worked on the twelve steps, so okay. we used the twelve steps as a program. And indeed, my book, My Steps to Sobriety, I've written in order to show people that these twelve steps are very up to date nowadays. And not just something that is, you know, from the 1930s, lots of God thrown in and you get the church rammed down your throat. That's actually completely untrue. Mm. There are very religious 12-step groups. Let's be clear about that. And the other fact is that most 12-step groups are typically meeting in church halls. And the reason for that is they're cheap and <laughs> there is space they are designed to meet and it's quiet. That is really why many groups are meeting there. It has nothing to do with the fact that this might be a very religious group or not. There are many secular groups out there. And therefore already to saying, I mean, if you're of Jewish belief or, or if you're Islam or whatever, Buddha is your God, doesn't matter. It, it absolutely doesn't matter. This is a system that works. And that is so powerful that therefore in its own right, the 12 step program works if you do the work. Once you actually do the hard steps, the hard steps is to admit that enough is enough and to admit that you can't do it alone. We are all so clever. We all think we know it all. I mean, I'm a doctor. I know it. I mean, come on, look at me. Yeah, my bottom. I had no clue what was going on inside of me. I was just emotionally impotent, honestly. It was an amazing thing, but it was a very hard thing oh, to yeah. change, to feel the anger, to write those long lists of resentments. Here was John. He did that. That's how it made me feel. Arr. And then it went down, down the list. And then a few days later, someone came back to the same list and said, okay, now we've got John did that. That made, that's how it made you feel. What was your role? in that scenario mm -hmm. where were you in that scenario yeah yeah and then suddenly you realize oh shit okay maybe he did that because of something you did or you immediately shot back and the whole thing got out of control because maybe of you so suddenly you come into that and that's painful and you have to admit that you're actually a dog or that <laughs> it's impossible for you to hold back the inner madness those kind of things so that is then where, where, oh, the change happens. That's where. So I have a question about. How it comes. Sorry, interruption. No, um, go for it, girl. So I had a friend, more than one, but this one sticks in my mind because I live nearby. We were close. People would say she's hit bottom and she'd go to rehab and she'd come out and then she'd hit bottom again. And then she'd hit like it was a repeating thing over the course of maybe a year and a half. Um, and I was. I mean, it's impossible to try to put myself in her shoes. We all wanted help. My friend who was high up in the AA world said, stop helping. She needs to find her own, right? It just went on and on. And I'm just wondering if you have any way of like, what 
what is it that might have been missing for those people or is missing or is it because they go home again to their life i mean what is it that those poor people are unable to what are they missing in their lives uh, if that was such an easy answer i know I, I know it's a crazy question to even ask but it came up so oh, no 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 it's a it's a beautiful question i think firstly you have to realize the first time you tried to start walking how many times did you fall over Mm -hmm. And did someone ever say, oh, my God, you fell down three times today. You <laughs> ended up on your ass. Stop walking. It's yeah. not for you. Honestly, no, you learn to walk. You learn to cycle. How oftentimes did you fall off the cycle? So it's the same with rehab. You will lapse. And lapse is defined as, well, you have a drink. Relapse is that you go full back into the yeah. addictive behavior, hiding, etc. So... The relapse is normal, 80% relapse in the first year. Oh. So, okay, so expect that. Regardless how good the initial honeymoon period was. So I think that is something, keep that in mind. Um, it is working on the reasons that you drink. You can't just go once to the gym and then you're fit and healthy for life. You don't just go two weeks to maybe two appointments with a psychologist. They deal maybe with one little layer of trauma. Guess what? There's shitloads more waiting in your past that is still playing havoc with your life. And that is something that might take you years to peel back these layers where there's again another band, another sore spot that you need to deal with. And like every sore spot on your body, it takes a few days to heal. And in trauma, that takes a few weeks and months for you to come to terms with. There might be trauma that you'd never realized that it was, like with me. I had a PTSD, and I didn't click on it until I was literally in my early 50s. And then suddenly it dawned on me how, how this was driving my behavior for, what, 37 years at that mm. time. Four decades, really where I was driven by this PTSD. Um, that is what the hard work is. So therefore, she failed in the first year. Brilliant. That's all I can say. Congratulations to her. Because it means that she has got a new attempt at making it work. Failure is good. Failure should be encouraged. And that, was, that happened to me. Um, I woke up with a big hangover the next day and I expected my wife to say, oh my God, give me the, the third world war again, which was usually in our marriage and up until then. And she came in with love, hugged me and said, cool, let's figure out what went wrong. And that was such a beautiful, beautiful attitude. And we figured out. And for me, hungry, angry, lonely, tired were the big drivers, which uh, made me want to drink. And so we learned how to actually deal with that. So to your friend, um, kudos, it's okay. It's okay to fail. It's she did finally get sober. It just took a really there long time. So I've got this gym membership. I'm for a year now a member of the gym. I really need to go to there once and actually see how it works there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you get the idea? Okay. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. doing the work in, in rehab, some of us go through some motions, but don't do the work. So that is what we need to highlight. Okay. Each journey will be individual. Each journey will have its own challenges. But 
I would say uh, 18, 90% of those people who really come to the point that they think I want help and are then listening to this help through a rocky road, they will get better. And mm -hmm. many of us are like me nowadays who say, well, I went for so much shit in my life. There's so much darkness. I want to be the candle or maybe the torch or the lighthouse in the storm of others to actually say, Hey, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay quiet. It's not mm -hmm. okay to numb yourself. So therefore, if you look at it from that angle, that is the, the key message that I want to send out to you and to your listeners. The past does not equal the future. Right. It doesn't matter if you're 37, 57, 77. It does make no blind bit of difference. I want you to ask yourself, who do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to be in a month, in two years, in five years? And you will be amazed what you can achieve when you actually put your mind to it. And the road to that achievement can be very different. For some of you out there, you might be into the divine, into crystals, into vibrancies, into healing. There are so many good coaches out there that start with that, but then start for working through the trauma and coming from that side. There's, um, if you are more wanting into exercise, there's beautiful trauma focused yoga, um, that is out there and that can be very powerful because issues lie in the tissues it might be nutrition because when you drink you don't eat so healthy and you might have a lot of nutritional deficiencies etc so you might start with a diet maybe instead of a diet i i rather want a food plan so you start turning your life around this way and then through food you address your emotions all of these things will come to play can't just get better without addressing your sleep addressing your emotions. These are the, the key things that you will start working on. And the more you work on them, the more it becomes normal. You create good habits. You create a better person and will recognize the old trauma knocking on the door again and will be able to deal with that in a better way rather than hitting it again with another bottle of whatever your favorite poison was. And that is the beautiful thing. So there is help out there and you just need to start somewhere with the belief that right now you've got. And may I just say, you have already taken action. You're listening to this fantastic podcast here <laughs> because you are, that's it. You have, these people who are here listening to us, they have taken action. Mm -hmm. Congratulations Absolutely. to you guys. Pat yourself on the shoulder. Uh, and now what's the next thing? May I suggest as soon as you switch off, well, switch off, then go down there, press the like and subscribe button. Okay. So that you know more about Greg's beautiful things that are coming out. And then may I suggest have a glass of water, big glass of water. Down it goes. Now you have rehydrated. So it's cool. You've done two things to make you feel better. How about now a good stretch? Taking a deep breath, few deep belly breaths. Well, now you've done some breath work. Hey, that's three things <laughs> you've done in one minute. How cool is that? And so on and mm -hmm. so on. This is what I call intentional living. And you have the choice every second to either work on becoming a better person and becoming the best version of yourself, or you work on your relapse. It's your choice.
No one forces you one way or the other. But I've I'm never heard it put that way. Can... Work on your relapse. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. If you know, if I can get my shit together, honestly, guys, you've got a very <laughs> fair chance that that helps. Yeah. <laughs> Stefan, this has been really interesting and I love your stories. And I, I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is to remember that it's okay to fail. We're not going to be perfect. No matter whether it's rehab from an addiction or trying a marketing something in our business that doesn't work, you know, the restaurant, maybe they tried the new dish and nobody liked the new dish. Well, guess what? Doesn't mean the restaurant's exactly. failing. That was helpful for me to hear uh, on so many levels. So thank you very much for being here. And you have your book, uh, My Steps to Sobriety. Is that what it is? And it's at your website. Tell the name of your website. That's right. My Steps to Sobriety is my website. Um, these are the two most recent books, My Steps to Sobriety and Depression Lied to Me. And if you want to to go there, I've written a children's book, um, Esme, the Mindful Mouse. That's a little mouse that needs to learn the difference between... Mouse. <laughs> between doing silly things that anger people and being a bad mouse. There's a big difference between oh. being bad and doing something silly. Okay, so we can start building up our children from an earlier stage than waiting until they are broken adults and trying to repair them. I believe you guys can help to make this world a better place by working on yourself, by learning about yourself. And yeah. One day you might be coming to Greg um, and have a good chat about your transformation or be on my show. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I yes, love, if you yeah, wanna, Stefan has a podcast. If you want to check me out, My Steps to Sobriety um, is my handle. So you're going to find me pretty much um, everywhere on um, on the social media and can check me out and come on board with this beautiful revolution of actually looking after ourselves and becoming better people. And maybe we can just make this world a bit of a better place. Amen to that. I'm on board. I think all my listeners are too. Thank you again, Stefan. I loved having you. People, I'll be back next week with another fabulous guest. Thanks for listening and be well till next time. Hey, peeps, before you run, in case you're not 100% sure you're doing everything you can to age as well as you can, which means you'll feel better longer, you might want to check out my Age Better Lifestyle Assessment. It will give us a clear picture of where you are now and what small changes you might want or need to make to improve how you feel, how you look, and how you age. Check it out at rebelliouswellnessover50.com in the Work With Greg section. Thanks.